Happy New Year, everybody. Woohoo! It's 2021. We made it through 2020. I'm so thankful that you are joining me for another year of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Before we get into this episode with Karen Kubitis, my career coach, my life coach, all sorts of different types of coach, uh, I bear pretty much everything in this particular episode. I had a lot of resistance to whether I wanted to release it or not, but I feel it's good and right to be honest with you about what some of my journey has looked like. And um, so that's what we're going to do. Before we get into the episode, I would like to quickly thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. If you've ever wanted to consult with someone about your playing equipment, what other options there are, and how to know what's right for you, look no further than Houghton Horns. They offer free in-person virtual equipment consultations with their team of professional musicians, which means whether you live in Keller, Texas, or you live outside the United States, Houghton Horns will be able to serve you. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, uh, I am excited slash nervous slash ready to share with you what the past year of my life has looked like working with Karen Kubitas. Um, This is a bit of a surreal interview in many ways uh, because, like I said, it's not just been a year, but I'm sort of having flashbacks to the interview we did in October of 2019, and I was just brand new sort of into the podcasting thing. And um, you guys are so welcoming to me and it was awesome. And, and now to think we're this far into uh, what I'm doing in terms of my career and how that podcast interview really opened up the door for so many things that are, are possible for me now. And uh, I'm really excited to sort of get your perspective on what it's been like. I've spoken, I'm happy to speak about what my perspective is working with you, but I think it'll be valuable for you to be able to speak to us about what your thoughts about me were and what I was going to have to overcome and how you tried to guide me in the right direction without doing the work for me and all those kinds of things. So that's a, well, first of all, thank you for giving me your time. I know you're a busy person. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm equally as excited and potentially terrified um, at the thought of this conversation and where it's going. But I'm I'm super pumped to be here. And I think it's really brave and vulnerable of you to be willing to kind of let us go into your brain a little bit. Yeah. So before we dive in, uh, I do want to say that A, this episode is, it's possible that it'll be pretty lengthy. And B, um, it's going to be pretty centered <laughs> around like 
demons and battling demons and trying to sort of overcome some of our limiting beliefs about ourselves, I, I, issues of identity, how you see yourself, and ultimately how to sort of position what I believe is position yourself into a space where like you can accomplish the things that not only uh, you were capable of accomplishing, but really finding your purpose, like what things should you be doing with the skills and the talents that you have, not just what is possible, like in the ether, but like, what should you specifically be doing with your life? That's one of the things I feel like I've really found through working with Karen and doing this work is a lot of purpose. So I hope to be able to paint this picture somehow over the next X amount of time. So that's kind of where we're <laughs> headed. That's the purpose and the intent behind this episode. We'll see if we can get that to happen. So I would like to share very quickly why I came to Karen and then to just turn it over to her and she can speak for a little while about what her thoughts were and how ridiculous what I said in the beginning was, <laughs> and then we'll go from there. So um, at the time that I reached out to Karen, I was, there were two reasons, I think, as I've reflected upon it. Number one is like many workplaces, there were some difficult personalities um, that uh, made being in that space and in in, in my job not uh, always fun. You know, um, I enjoyed aspects of my job, but sometimes some of these people made the job very hard. I've shared about that on previous podcast episodes, so we don't have to get into it here. But that was one main reason I saw her as a gateway to being able to expand what I did in my career. And then the other reason was, is uh, I guess speaking very honestly, I had a desire to serve the organization and I would ask for opportunities to serve and tried to be gung-ho about getting things done and trying to do great and awesome things or whatever that ended up being. And I was met with very little yeses or very few yeses, so to speak. So I started to get this feeling of like, is this going to be my career? Is it just going to, you know, be playing a Beethoven cycle every like, you know, five years? And I mean, not that that's not great, but I felt like I wanted more in my own life and for what I mm -hmm. felt like I had to provide. So I felt like these two conflicting things that of basically being unsettled, right? It was unsettled with where I was in the situation, again, with personalities and also just sort of with what the work I was doing was. And so I reached out to Karen and um, I did ask the very, one of the very first questions I asked Karen was, how long do you think it'll be before I would be like self-sufficient or able to be financially independent enough that if I wanted to leave the job, I could and serve in some other capacity? I don't think I've phrased it like that, but I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to do it a little bit better. So <laughs> that's how I came to Karen. Just basically with this mind of, I have these problems. I have these issues. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to get out. And that's sort of the, with that as a backdrop, I would be interested for you just to take it over. And what were your impressions of me and where you thought I could go? Anything really just kind of open-ended, take it from there. Yeah. Um, I, I do remember this very vividly. Um, and, you know, you're not alone in, in those questions and, and feeling that way and, and being and feeling stuck, um, especially when you had, you know, reached what a lot of students and emerging artists in college would consider the pinnacle of success, you know, reaching the gig, having the job, getting the tenure, all that fun stuff. Um, my impression was that you were seeking. Um, I actually... I mean, I guess like as far as the ethics of my profession, like I would never judge anybody, but there was no judgment. It was very much like, yeah, I, I hear you and, and I understand and, and I can really see that you're hurting and I can really see that you're seeking more and that you're in this new place of 
of awareness to even consider that there is something else out there besides this orchestra gig and that maybe there is more than just, you know, these Beethoven cycles. And I mean, that was basically all you really needed to to change was just being willing and open and, and really seeking. I don't think we put enough value in how important it is to seek and to just be curious about why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I would, I guess... When you, when I came to you, one of the questions I would love to know, you know, selfishly, I would like to know is just what were the, was, was there anything that jumped out at you of like, he's going to have to deal with this. Like I can already see there's this thing he's going to have to overcome. Could be something that a lot of performers might have to overcome. Is there anything like that that jumped out at you? Yeah, totally. I mean, your entire identity as a human was wrapped up in your profession. And not only that, but in what other people thought of you, like that was really important. And it didn't matter how much because of your personality type structure, you tried to to be angry about it or think that it wasn't true. There was a huge part of you that just really only saw yourself as that. And what was interesting about that too, is you being, you know, a spiritual person, um, there was a dissonance with that as well, where you're, you know, reading the Bible and going to church and, you know, you're a believer, but then you're also like not trusting that there is actually a higher power helping you along the way. So there's a lot of just that going on right away. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to reflect back on, I mean, one of the things I felt I did well, you can, uh, you can say otherwise if you want. One of the things (laughs) I felt I did well is I just trusted you. Even if you told me to do something that I didn't think was necessary, um, I trusted you and it would be interesting, um, you know, the the results of some of these things. I remember this is, we're skipping around a little bit. I remember one of the things you asked me to do was write a eulogy. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like who wants to do that? But it was an interesting exercise, right? To try to, to think yeah. about that kind of thing. So uh, sort of as, again, with that as a backdrop, uh, is there anything that you feel like, everybody would benefit from like right out of the gate using my example of I trusted you and I did the things. Is there anything that you've seen like everybody benefit from this particular exercise or this particular way of thinking about themselves so they can start digging deep? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, yes, there was an immense amount of trust, which I was very grateful for um, right from the start. But I think something that you've done really well is just asked questions. Like even though you were very trusting, you questioned every step of the way. And I think that is why you've been able to be so successful in such a short amount of time, arguably. Um, Because a year is a short amount of time, but you know, it's 2020. So what is happening? Um, Anyway, I feel like something people could really benefit from right off the gate is just gratitude. Um, And that was our first conversation, like just having that awareness over like, what are you grateful for? And just really making sure that we are in the practice of gratitude so that that can become our default. Um, And then from there, I would say, you know, podcasts and just getting new information. You can't think your way into new information. So just listening to people that breathe life into you, that are teaching you new things. Um, I've had so many mentors over the years via books that did not even know they were my mentors. So just like learning new things. I feel like as musicians, we just tend to stay in this little orchestral or creative bubble and not learn other things. And then that just kind of stifles our creativity and our ability to think outside the box. Yeah, I remember that was such a a major shift towards the beginning of working with you is going from, I'm just going through the motions, right? I'm like practicing my instrument and then I'm going to go like, especially before I was married, but even after I was married, 
It's like you would just have that thing that you do. It's like practice the trumpet and like take the kids to to school, go to work, like come home. You know, there was sort of this grind and working with you, like introduce this element of different, you know, I was like, okay, now I'm Mm going to read this book that you recommended and really think through it and having someone like you to talk through with it. And what you said about new information was so interesting because I just I can't believe it took me as long as it did to realize like you can't think your way into new information. Like other people have grown and we can learn from them and apply it mm-hmm. in our own particular ways. Um, so as a general thing, talking about applying new information, um, I think anybody who's listening and would like some recommendations. I mean, we're, we're sort of trying to build like a base here before we j- dive into like kind of the meat. Are there any recommendations yeah. for books? I know you've talked about this before, but just kind of throwing it out there. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, huge fan of the book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's my most favorite book ever. It, it's the it's a kind of book that like keeps on giving. Um, it's by Joshua Metcalf and he's written a series of extraordinary books, but I suggest Chop Wood, Carry Water as the first one and then Pounding the Stone as the second book. Um, and then anything Brene Brown has ever written or said um, is incredibly transformative. Yeah. Chop wood, carry water. You, obviously, you know this uh, very... Re- so I read it like a year ago or something like that. And then I, one of my clients seemed like he was ready for some like you know, kind of reading personal development. So I was like, well, you should read Chop wood, carry water. I like it for probably the same reason you do. It's like 100 pages and very mm-hmm. digestible. Um, and yeah. as I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot like how good this, for me, how good this book is, right? But not only that, it, I I feel like it taught me an important lesson, which is like reading many books is not necessarily the answer. I was in this vibe of, I'm just going to read like 40 books in the next year. And that will prove <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. But going back through Chop yeah. Carry Water really taught me that there was so much wisdom in just that one simple book that it would have probably been a better thing for me to sort of just live with it for a little while, you know, like read a chapter Mm -hmm. and then think about how that applies to me and what I'm doing rather than reading it and saying, I read that book, I'll add it to the stack. It's got to get like, you know, three feet high before I'll be satisfied, something like that. Right. So. Yeah, I feel like for books and stuff, like it becomes so performative, um, especially with social and everybody just like, oh, I'm reading, you know, Atomic Habits or I'm doing this. And like all of a sudden people feel like experts and they've just read like one book. And it's like, no, take your time to sit down and like really digest the information. And I feel like these, especially personal growth books, like your personal development books, they like give you messages in the seasons of life that they make sense for you. And then when you come back to it, you usually find something new and you also need time to implement it. And that's something we don't talk about enough. Like it takes 21 days to form a habit, 66 days to get it rewired into your brain and 90 days to create momentum. So if I'm reading Chop Wood, Carry Water and it's talking about the process and the value of that, I'm not going to discover that in one sitting. Like I need to suffer or I need to deal or explore or seek for the next 90 days to really understand even just the beginning part of like what the process even means. Yeah, I would like to talk about this for a second, this idea of suffering or adversity, because I'm I'm through asking that question. I have fully answered it, that it is necessary. <laughs> Some version of a hardship is necessary because it makes it real, in my opinion. I think that's why it matters. So what kinds of, whether you saw in my, let's just use my life, like what kinds of adversity do you feel like you saw and you were like, I cannot save him from that. And I hope to be able to encourage it, 
encourage him through that. You know, I mean, we could, I mean, we can get as deep as you want, but I would be curious, like what you felt like uh, I was going to have to face and go through. Yeah. I mean, I think right off the top, um, I think your emotions and your feelings and like really embracing the anger that is available to you and the, a very externally perceived rough personality style but a really mushy and loving, very, very deep internal uh, part of you. And I think just reconciling both of those things was definitely an Everest. Um, And it's going to be for the rest of your life, but that completely affected and influenced the first stages of our work together, which was your brand. So it's like, how can you be authentic if you don't even know yourself in a way to see you know, what we're seeing versus what you want us to see and like how you're coming across and, you know, all of those things that we don't learn about ever. Yeah. It's interesting to think about that now. And we should expand upon this. I came to you, the what I thought, I thought I was going to get social media help, right? I thought, which is one thing you do, you do incredibly well. It's obviously a big part of what your company does, but... <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll just like grow my social media and then everything will be fine, right? And I realize now there's a few problems with that. Number one, like the number while carrying like weird some amount of clout doesn't actually mean anything if it just stays there on the screen. And then number two, like what if I have 10,000 followers Mm -hmm. and nothing worth sharing, what's the point? Like why does it matter that I would have all of those things? And so... Yeah, it's been a massive challenge, I think, to grow into someone who could share honestly and just say, like, I want to share this because I want to share this. I'm not sharing this because I think this will get mm-hmm. me followers. And I've lost follow. I'm losing followers like daily because I feel like I'm sharing things that weren't what I was sharing when I built my following, which is I would mm-hmm. love you to talk about this. We're going to work in a small amount of this because I'm starting to really get what you mean about do your one thing, like at first, do your mm-hmm. one thing really, really, really well and just know what that is. You know, if you want to sort of expand upon what what I'm talking about there, I think you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're just so distracted and, and confused and you're right. Like a lot of creatives come to me and they're like, let's work on social media. And I mean, it's bad on my part that that's what that looks like that I do. Um, so I definitely am constantly working on the messaging, but it's never that actually, like it's always just personal development and career having to go hand in hand and um, just really developing a, a deep understanding of the social platforms and the purpose and your intention behind them and what you're actually wanting to share. Um, I remember when we started working like, I mean, they're still popular, but you know, the playing videos with like the ugly score below it and it just, it's so gross, but like everybody loves it and it gets so many views and you got what, like two, 3000 followers out of just doing that consistently. Um, but you know, that's just not who you are. I mean, just never who you were. Um, so I think just having to reconcile both of those things, um, between like what makes sense from a marketing standpoint to do to get us the exposure versus like, what is authentically you and what is the purpose of what we're doing and how is this serving? And, you know, also Mitch, maybe you're not anticipating me saying, but the disassociation of the likes and what that actual return on investment is. And I feel like in a way, marketing can confuse ourselves about like what our identity really is and and where our value actually comes. Um, For example, I have access to a video company because I have one and we have drones and we have fancy work. And, 
you know, I can post something that's highly produced and it tanks, but I can post, you know, my dog pooping and everybody loves it. <laughs> and it's like, what is wrong with me? You know? And, you know, even with all my, my training and awareness, like sometimes it's still very hard. So I think like those first steps were just kind of disassociating yourself from, you know, what people thought you were versus who you actually were and starting to almost have a renaissance of like, who is this person? What are your values? What do you have to offer? And then just stopping the noise of like, I need a blog and a podcast and photos and a website and a business. And I need to do that. Like, it's just so much busy work um, as we try and outwork our emotions that I think it was so pivotal that you were willing to listen when it was like, let's take it back a notch. And I know part of that journey too might've been discouraging in that like, I want to move faster. Like why, why does it feel so slow? But as we kind of look back, you know, we like Tony Robbins has said, you know, you tend to overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in a decade. And I think even in your case for the last year, the amount of work that you've done, I don't think you could have imagined month to month with how slow it may have felt. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I th- I mean, I'm trying to process. There's a lot that I have in response to what you said. Um, we'll, we'll start with that. It is fascinating to me to think in April when the pandemic had just started, that's when I started taking on clients, right? For this mm-hmm. um, practice independence coaching. And um you know, it it felt like it was not happening, essentially. Like I got a whole bunch of response and then it was like zero. It was just like mm-hmm. wasteland, tumbleweed for like months and months and months. And I think that was an incredibly important thing to experience for me. Uh, this like, yeah. it's not going to be, oh, I just shared this and now it's going to be fixed. It's like, all right, we have some people who have already connected with what I've said so far. But if we're going to grow, we have to dial... I've taken it as I need to dial the messaging in that much more. And when you start thinking about Mm -hmm. what your messaging is, I feel like then you have to ask, well, what am I even trying to say? Like, what is it that I do? What is it that I have to say? How can I say this in a digestive... Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's I know you know what I mean, obviously. Um, But I guess I would say this for 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 the listeners. Like, for me, this has become what I would call the right kind of work. Like sitting down and thinking, what is it that mm-hmm. I'm trying to share with people? Like what matters to me? And what can I, how can I say in a way that connects with somebody else whom I might be able to encourage or possibly help if that's where it goes? But it's not just like, I'm going to post this video and that yeah. in and of itself is, this, is the thing that does it well. I don't know if you have any responses. Yeah, I mean, I think you have... Yeah, you have taken time to to just have greater intentionality because I feel like you've also experienced um, fulfillment in what you're doing. And I think, I mean, we definitely did not learn that in music school. Like, oh, let's just assess if we're having a good time or if we feel good in our bodies. Like, I think you've taken the space and the time to just be like, I'm doing this thing. Like, why am I doing this? What is the intention? What is the energy? I mean, we don't talk enough about law of attraction and like, how, how am I attracting these people to me? Am I attracting the the right kind of client? Um, what is my target market? What is my demographic? And these are all marketing questions, but in my opinion, they really stem from how well do you know yourself and how well can you serve those that are already showing up for you? Yeah. I think this would be a good time to sort of dive into a few of the pivotal moments in my, in my journey. Like the, <laughs> these things that I feel are unbelievably important in my, in my space. And I remember, so like 
there's one pivotal one. I was doing the morning pages, you know, from the artist's way. You know, the biggest reason I did that is because it sounded overwhelming. Like I did it for that reason. It's mm-hmm. like three pages a day, every day for 12 weeks. It's like, that's a huge commitment. But the promises in the book were like, well, if I do it, maybe there'll be something on the other side. And I remember like, this is, you know, this is like I said, the 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 religious faith Christian based side of me, but I was having these problems at work and they just seemed overwhelming. And it seemed like I couldn't do anything, you know? And I remember like, mm-hmm writing down in this prayer, you know, and, or not a prayer. I started writing on the words to what a friend we have in Jesus. And I started like sobbing uncontrollably. And it was like a moment mm-hmm. for me to realize like, this is how I can, in a way that is meaningful for me, let this go. Like, I don't actually yeah. have to carry this burden, you know, like I can let it go. I can, and then for me, and I would love, this is what I would love your sort of response to. What it did is it then asked me if I let this go, then like, who do I want to be when I confront it again? So like, if I am confronted with this difficult situation, but like, I, I'm not needing them to treat me in a certain way, who do I want to be in response to that? And that started to ask me, like, I started to grow in like my own self of like, well, I feel like I'd like to be, mm-hmm. let's say a nice person. Well, now I have something to aim for next time someone's you know, if I feel like someone's treating me not well or something like that, I can say, well, I want to be a nice Mm -hmm. person. So how would I respond? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, you kind of started to lean into that discomfort and to really open up to what it meant to be vulnerable for you. And um, like I said, initially, like there was a lot of just personality things that you weren't really reconciling with or or didn't really know what to do with. And I think that was a a huge moment in you just allowing yourself the opportunity to feel like crap. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that you weren't a crier um, before you started this journey. So, you know, kind of opening up (laughs) the portals of that. Um, And I think that was the, the catalyst because you have an insane amount of energy. Um, like I, I've pre-gamed for this episode because I know you could go for like five hours and I'm like going to die. But like with that level of energy, like you're the prime candidate to like outwork your feelings and to outdo everybody and never have to actually deal. Um, <laughs> so I think that was the a turning point to like, no, I have to deal with this like now. Yeah, it's, yeah I totally agree I'm mean, obviously I agree because it's true. It's just like you're totally right. And I feel like that was why I came to you in the first place. Because I don't want to actually deal with how I feel. I just want to go to a different space where everyone's gonna agree with me and there will be no problems mm-hmm. and everyone will see all of the value I can provide and I won't have to actually deal with like what's going on on the inside of me. I remember another another sort of pivotal moment was when I I remember where I was. Like we were like driving down. 459 here in Birmingham. And I like set you a Vox and I was like, I think I'm starting to understand that I have this desire to help because in my past, I've not been the most incredible person, you know, <laughs> like I've done some pretty thoughtless things, mm-hmm. you know, as we all have probably done. I'm not I'm sure I'm not alone, but I sort of felt like it's almost paying penance for that, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I have to work harder than everybody else to sort of make up for this thing. And especially from my from my faith perspective, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. But I it doesn't really make sense because like 
I don't know. I, I would love for you just to sort of, because you were like, this is a big moment for you. Like, and I would, I'm curious why you feel like that was a big moment for me and how other people uh, might be able to identify with that kind of thing in themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a big moment from many aspects. The The first one, I guess, scientific, like whatever you tell your brain, it believes. So by you voicing, like, I am not the worst or I'm not a trash panda. Like I'm seeing how I can actually be better that like immediately, you know, tell your brain and your body, like what you were after. So I think that that was like the first moment of like actual surrender for you because you realize that all the work that you were doing was going to serve a higher purpose and it wasn't just about you. So from that point on, like all the goal setting and all the, the hard work had much greater accountability than just like, I just want to feel like I'm a good person or I want to feel like I'm doing a good job. Like this was like, no, there's a much bigger thing to figure out. And, and I think you also kind of went back to being a student and you, you really leaned into like being a student of life, which I know sounds so annoying, but just really examining every aspect of your life and, and being willing to ask hard questions. And before that, you were really avoiding all of that. I, I feel that one of the most important things I've learned through this past year is that I was, you know, I was doing all the right things, you know, I was doing all the right things that it looked on the outside. Like I was like, I was, you know, I won this job. I got married to Kathleen, it's two beautiful children, like everything on the outside looked great, but like there was still like not total peace on the inside, you know? And I feel like it's interesting because you hear this all the time. You hear that somebody who has all this money is not happy or you, someone who's got like the best job or whatever is still unsatisfied. And I'm learning that the satisfaction has come from going inside and just basically living a life true to who I think I mm -hmm. should be, right? The the principles or whatever, that seems to be where the the peace has come from because I've just found purpose for my work. Um, I, I don't know exactly what question is going to come from this, but I'm, I think what, I think what it should be is like, we're all searching for purpose. I think, I think that's like, we all want to feel like our work is meaningful and we all want to feel like the things we do have value and so what if there's someone not like me who has principal trumpet of this orchestra, who has some visibility, who can say something and people might hear it? What if you're a freshman at a school or and you have this strong desire to share, but you don't have any clout or anything like that? How, what does purpose look like and how do we develop purpose for someone who maybe is just starting their path? Yeah, that's a really intense question. Um, I am very passionate about emerging artists, as you know, and I really believe that we all have something to say and nothing to prove. Um, and I don't think, I don't believe at all that you need to win a big job or have a fancy title to have an opinion and, or to be able to influence. I know that does happen as a byproduct, but to me, it would just be sitting down and, and getting the data. Like, um, I mean, I, I'm going to say this a bajillion times, I'm sure, but you know, in the absence of data, your mind makes up stories. So whatever it is that you want to talk about or you want to do, just having your information and also 
er sharing everything from experience, like especially for, for an emerging artist, like that's the place to start. Like you don't need to win a big job to share, you know, how you practice or what you're struggling with or what's something that's worked for you. So I think just like really embracing what you actually enjoy and what's fulfilling and starting there and then realizing that, I mean, I've had the, the privilege of working with all sorts of fancy people and then also all sorts of incredible students and the struggles are the same. Like the conversations that I have with my emerging artists are very similar than with my clients in the New York Phil. Like we all just want to belong. We all just want to be loved. We all just want to do a good job. And we also don't want to feel like we're behind. And I feel like just this pandemic and, you know, this past year has really allowed us to be on equal playing fields. So I think just being brave and, and putting yourself out there is, is a great way to start finding your purpose. Yeah, I think it's acceptable for your purpose to be, I'm going to try to have the best practice session I can today. And I'm going to try to like have meaningful interaction with people. Uh, I feel I have suffered from delusions of grandeur and thinking through like a possibility of 10 years mm -hmm. from now, what could possibly happen? And it's not valuable to do that uh, when you don't really know anything, right? Like when you don't have the data, like you're describing and so I've sort of learned to be satisfied with today. I'm going to do the best work I can. I'm going to try to, if I, today is a YouTube video day, I'm going to try to make the best YouTube video I can. If today is a podcast interview, I'm going to try to be as present as I can and just talk and try to share or whatever, practicing same kind of deal. And I think that's like sufficient. You know, I think it's sufficient just to do the work. And then over the course of time, you, the, it'll sort of lead you somewhere. I feel like that's where we can start to draw some conclusions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's the compound so interest. That's my opinion on that. Totally. And there's a compound interest of time. And that's part of Chop Wood Carry Water, you know, doing, showing up and doing the work day in and day out. And over a period of time, you will get closer to, you know, whatever it is that you're desiring. And I think too, like being okay with, with shifting, like that's, I think my p favorite part of your story, like, you know, you had all this fancy education, all these hopes and dreams of like this grandiose life. I'll say in quotations in your mind. Um, and then now being in a season of life where you're willing to do something completely different, but that actually fulfills you. And I think especially as musicians, like being open to the fact that our career is going to take some twists and turns that we may have never imagined. But I believe maybe being a very or trying to be a positive person um that whatever the future holds is so much better than we could ever imagine and if i look back at you know 20 year old me and thinking what was ahead like i could have never conceptualized what i've been able to create in the last decade and now looking back like i would have been too paralyzed to know what the future was going to hold um so in a way it's a blessing in disguise to just kind of trust the process and and trust that it's going to work out if you put in the work yeah, I feel exactly the same way about this past year. I could, I wasn't even, one year ago, I wasn't even considering that I would be a practice coach or whatever, you know? So what's interesting to me about what you just said is we sort of have to, I think one of the most important things to accept is that the future is unknown and we can't guarantee anything. And I was, I think I fell victim to thinking if I just work a little bit harder, I can speed up the process a little bit. I'll get there a little bit faster. If I just put in an extra hour or if I practice just a little bit more, I'll get a little bit better than I would have gotten and I'll get there faster. I was in such a hurry 
But taking the time, especially in the pandemic, to slow down, think about what's the right kind of work. It's like I actually feel more productive now doing less because the stuff I'm doing is higher quality. Generally, on average, I would say. It's not 100% a perfect thing. But um, And it's it's kind of to your point, I think, that um, it's trusting the process allows us, I think, to let go of the result. I know you've talked about that uh, mm -hmm. often is releasing the result. So the sort of the sort of devil's advocate question would be, well, how do we develop a process then? Like, what does a process look like? Where do we get started so that we can start to actually build one? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step would be to just take inventory of your life. Um, what are you doing? Where is your time going? And how do you feel about the life that you already have? Um, and then the next step would be to just figure out what are some things that are not serving you that you could let go of and what are others that you want to bring in and incorporate and then you know developing a lifestyle that aligns with your goals and in that process you're going to develop confidence you're going to develop some wins along the way um, unfortunately in, in music school in my experience you just either win the job or you don't. There's no celebration of that process or the milestones that you hit along the way. And I feel like approaching a life from a place of fulfillment, personal satisfaction, it's not balanced because it's, I don't know that that's possible, but I think a better job at juggling all the things that you're doing um, could give you the creative energy and openness to really hear deep down what you're feeling like you're called to do and what you truly desire deep down. Um, as creatives, we, we use our bodies, but we don't realize that there's so much messaging in our physical bodies. Like, how do you feel physically when you hear something? Like the thought of performing a recital, what happens in your body? The thought of speaking, the thought of teaching someone, the thought of insert whatever. Our bodies tell us all of this information and it actually tells it to you before your brain actually can receive it. And we just don't have the time to be like, how does this feel in my gut? Is this the right move? Am I on the right track? Should I be a performance major or should I be an ed major? Like all of these questions are totally valid. And it's also okay to change your mind if in the middle of going in the direction that you thought it was, it doesn't feel good. You were just talking about fulfillment and living the life that you want. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm not going to put any words in your mouth. Do you think that this is available to everybody? Absolutely. Like of life of, yeah, a life of, sorry, to a life of fulfillment, a life of, I can actually design the life I want. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, I think, I don't mean it like in from a place of, of privilege and everything's already figured out, but I think of it more of, I can actively choose to feel joy, to be happy, to, you know, win at life. Like I think back to my own education and, and just the, the hustling for worthiness that I was doing, the just, I, I thought it had to be hard. I thought I had to suffer. Like, oh, if I am in physical pain, I, I am working hard enough. Or like, if I am just neglecting my nutrition, like I'm just a warrior and I'm going to wear this as a badge of honor that I'm in the practice room until the wee hours of the morning or whatever. And none of that was actually true. And what was so sad about that is that was celebrated. Like I remember walking in one semester to the next in my undergrad at Boston Conservatory, having gained 50 pounds. And my teacher, all he said was like, you should just practice more. Like you're really falling behind if you want to get into a grad program. And I was like, <laughs> what? Looking back now, you know, bawling about it in therapy. But yeah, I mean, I believe that all of us choose 
what we think we deserve. And that just comes from that personal growth and, and really knowing yourself. I think one of the big missions of my life, I suppose you talk about purpose and a calling, is to try to spread the message that we don't really have to just blindly accept that we have four years to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And however far you get in that four years is where you're going to stay for the rest of your life, especially if we learn, like you said, a process. So to me, what I didn't do when I was younger that I would probably do differently now, if I could take my brain and put it in my 18-year-old body, I would just be interested in asking questions about building a process. I wouldn't be trying to hurry to build one, but I would be like, I should try to ask this question, right? Like, and I was, I was saying to you when, when we were at, you were asking for questions about this, you know, one thing I've really started to say to people is like, you deserve to ask these mm -hmm. questions, you know, like you deserve to ask these questions. Like you're not, you don't have to wait for permission for someone to say like, you are good enough for this, or I give you this. It's like, you deserve that and no one is going to give it to you. So you should start asking it because you deserve it. I don't know if there's sort of a good place to start with just like asking, like you said, I guess you were talking about like sort of taking stock of your, of your time and, and the life that you're living for someone who's in music school, who may not be a hundred percent in control of every like moment. I mean, I have that luxury, right? I like literally get to choose whatever I want to do right now. Mm -hmm. And so someone who doesn't have that kind of luxury, how do we sort of make small shifts into that direction uh, and feel confident about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have the honor of working with just brilliant emerging artists, um, specifically at, at Vanderbilt University. And um, the the small shifts that I've asked them to make is as simple as taking less credit hours so they can really practice and enjoy. And, you know, those, and I feel, I agree with you. Like we feel like, oh, we have four years and we got to figure it all out. And then after that point, it's just winning the gig. And um, I, I feel like just doing small changes, like deciding, okay, this is the amount of requirements that I need for my degree, how is this going to go in the semester with these things that I'm working on on my instrument or what is important to me in this season of life or just really taking inventory of what's going on in your personal life and being really realistic about what's possible. And I think this past fall semester of 2020, like everybody got a, a great slap in the face of like what's actually possible because now we can't help but avoid or we can't help but realize that there is a global pandemic, that there was an election, that there is a social justice movement. And all of these social things are weighing on us physically and emotionally. And now we've had to really reconcile like, oh, wow, I am somaticizing the stress and it's manifesting in tendonitis, in carpal tunnel syndrome, in, you know, some kind of disorder. And here we are faced with like, there's actually nothing wrong with me. I just haven't processed what I'm actually feeling. So just really taking inventory of your life in general and seeing like, where are some areas that don't have to happen right now that I can kind of push to later on? Yeah, when I was younger in school, uh, I basically, I sacrificed a lot, right? We, when we talk about achievement and we talk about sacrificing and people are like, what are you willing to sacrifice for your goals and your dreams? I basically sacrificed the two most important things in my life now, which is me and my health and stuff. 
And then also my relationships with others. That's like the two things I sacrificed so I could win a job mm -hmm. and then not get tenure at that job and then play for six years and then have a pandemic blow my job up. You know, it's interesting because I was serving a thing that can't give me anything back. Yeah. And we do it all the time. Like we do it all. We, we serve this idea that I'll go get this job and then my life will be awesome. And I'll have everyone will know who I am. That's at least what my thought process was. Everyone will know who I am. And like, I'll be able to do master classes and I'll have this like great life playing music and like helping people and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, I, I didn't get there because there's no guarantees, at least in terms of like, you know, top tier or whatever. But also my life is just significantly more con like fulfilling now because I've made actual relationships and connections with people, especially through the podcast. And I just have regrets about not treating people better, basically. But I was a kid and I didn't know any different. And I felt like a lot of things were just like, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. And people just ex let me, let people were, I had good people around me who were like, you know, sometimes he's nice, sometimes he's not. You know, um, and I just, like I said, I have regrets and I wonder if there's anybody else out there who probably can identify with that to some extent. Like they're hyper functioning. I want to win this kind of thing at all costs. And I feel it's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. Um, and I completely agree with you. Um, being of a very similar personality style than yours. Uh, yeah, I could also outwork, out eat my feelings, all the things. And it really has led me to a path where not to sound arrogant, but if I could go back in time and pick, do I want to have the career that I have today or do I want to have my health? I would still pick my health every time. Like, it's not that it wasn't worth it, but the repercussions of those choices I'm paying right now. And it was a decade, more than that, of just damage to my body, to my mental health, to my physical health. Um, and your body does keep the score. And it will come and bite you in the butt. So if anybody is listening at the beginning of their career, like really take your health, your mental health, your physical health very seriously because you are the product. And unfortunately, I did not hear that message. It was always you're not enough instead of like you need to be amazing to do an amazing job. And I think of athletes like we don't expect Olympians to like eat McDonald's, not sleep and win a gold medal. And I'm like, why do we expect that of ourselves? Like, oh, I'm just not going to I'm going to eat like crap. I'm going to not sleep and then I'm going to go play a jury and beat myself up because I shat everywhere. It's like, well, no, like you have to prepare yourself physically, emotionally, your body, mind, spirit connection is totally a thing. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, one of the things that you have been, before I say that, I think one of the reasons it would be difficult for people to have the same kind of faith or trust or whatever you're talking about, I wish I would have done it differently is financials, right? Like, I need to work harder because I don't have enough money to live or to feel comfortable or, or whatever. And one of the things you've been encouraging me and Kathleen to do is to actually figure out like how much money do I need? Like how much mm -hmm. money would I need to actually be able to pay my bills and possibly have a little bit to save and then maybe a small amount extra to buy some, you know, treat myself, treat yourself, you know? Um, I'm kind of curious. You've done this work with a lot of other people. So I would be curious if you had just a sort of a... Um, like a, a beginning to that statement and just some of the value that you've seen from people who actually have followed through doing that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So the first question that I always ask every single one of my clients is how much money do you want to make? And I am so surprised that about 95% of them have no idea. 
the answer is usually enough to get by. And it's like, well, what, what number is affiliated with that? Like, what does that mean? Um, so that's the first question, like deciding how much money do you want to make? And it doesn't have to be like when you're an adult, because I'm still there. Like, I don't know how much I want to make when I'm an adult, but uh, right now in this season of life, in this moment, how much money do you desire to have? Um, and then writing that down. A lot of us, most people in my experience have difficult relationships with money you know, you feel like you're a spender or maybe you're a psycho saver because you felt like you never had enough or you never had any growing up or you've seen your parents go through bankruptcy or you've been in many, many different situations that affect you as an adult. Um, that's also something that I really am hoping makes it into the music school curriculum is just financial literacy. But, you know, you graduate and you're like, how do you do your taxes? So the first step is just really assessing how much money do I want to make, deciding, do I feel like I have an okay relationship with money? Like, do I feel bad about spending, I don't know, in Nashville, it's like $7 on a venti Starbucks? Or do I, you know, feel bad about like, or maybe here's a better question. This always boggles my mind. Um, somebody will go spend $250 for an hour lesson with somebody in the whatever fill, but then not spend the $50 copay to go to therapy or the 60 bucks a week to shop at a better grocery store than is not, that is organic or whatever. So ask yourself those questions. Like, how are you feeling about your spending habits? Like a lot of my clients will spend $250 on a mouthpiece, but feel bad about taking an extra coaching because they're really stuck. And it's like, why? Why is it this way? Um, and then once you maybe journal or jot a few sentences about like how you actually feel, then start to take inventory. So just check out the last month or the last few weeks or whatever you're comfortable with of what are your actual spending habits? Where does your money actually go? Are you um, eating out a lot? Are you somebody that cooks a lot? Do you like to shop? Like what? where is the money actually going? And don't treat it from a place of like, oh, we're going to cut all this stuff out. Let's just see what we have to work with to start. And then crunch your numbers monthly, quarterly, six months, 12 months, and then just kind of see, okay, what number do I need to manifest to have the life that I want? And then when we start there, we can figure out, okay, that means like I need to have X amount of private students if you're an educator, or I need to have this and that, or I need to work on this and that. And, and then it just gives you more information instead of just working from a place very similar to fitness. And I know Ryan, you can relate, like if you're going to change your eating habits, you know, you're not just going to like all of a sudden go vegan overnight. Like you need to figure out what the heck is happening or you're not going to drastically change something um, without really having the data. So it's the same with money. Um, you can't put yourself through, we're going to just cut everything in the name of savings because that is not sustainable. And that's really, if you get nothing else out of this conversation is whatever you choose to do, make sure it's sustainable. Yeah, one of the my sort of pillars in my own methodology for practice is the third one, which is it uh, your routine or the work that you do needs to have a logical progression. It needs to make sense how you're going to build ooh, excuse me, build one step to the next. And the only reason mm -hmm. that I say the word logical is because if it's logical, we will have a greater chance of adhering to the particular plan that we've set. And too often in my life I'll say I'm going to post five playing videos a week on social media. That's what I need to do. That's going to that's gonna make me all the money I need. So I start posting five videos a week and then I realize, oh my gosh, that's like, it's way more work than I thought it would be, you know? Mm -hmm. And then so I drop off like 
three weeks later. And then, you know, like, that's just like the story of my life up until about <laughs> not that long ago where it's like, okay, what if I just consistently yes. put the stuff out? And there's a different grind with that, right? Like the podcast, we were, t- we were talking about this in the, in the round table, like to produce a weekly episode and not miss is exhausting. Like it just doesn't stop. You don't get to walk away from it. But that is a sustainable method for me. I know you're talking about, or you're starting to do two episodes per week. And so that you've obviously done the week thing and then you assessed the data and then you just, you, you you made this from a place of knowledge, not just like, I feel like I need to make more so I get more subscribers or more followers. Like, I think I can provide right. this value and do it. And so, um, gosh, I wanted to talk about the Enneagram slightly because this is another pivotal moment in my life. For those that aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's the the numbered system of the personality test. This is going to be such a uh, simplistic look. It obviously gets insanely (laughs) deep, but you know, there's the nine numbers and, um, I'm an eight Karen, Karen and I are apparently the same number in the same wing. Um, and so, uh, we have that in common, but my personality type is I have more energy than like everybody. And um, I have a lot of feelings. And the big one I have is anger a lot. And um, it's interesting to have done this work because I'm less angry. You know, I, I do feel less angry most of the time. Like I'm not just like this sort of like one thing away from being incredibly frustrated. <laughs> but I would say it's because I'm like sleeping more, doing less. You know, mm-hmm. it's not because I'm just magically angry. It's like, well, what if I, now that I'm aware of my anger, what could I do to alleviate it? And like I said, it's like, well, if I just work all day long, get no sleep, and then my kid does something that's annoying, of course I'm going to be upset. So, um, one of the most important things I ever heard is you sent me a podcast interview I, with Joe. I do not remember her last name. Saxton. And um, yeah. And she said in that interview, uh, they, the interviewers asked her, what would you say to someone who loves an eight? And she, her answer was, do you want to love them for who they are or do you want to manage them? And I just lost it because I was like, that feels like my life to a T, just being managed. Like I am this person who's out of control and I have to find a way to manage myself. And it's weird because now that I know that, I'm, I don't feel like I'm out of control as much anymore because I acknowledge that, oh, that's not everybody else's fault. That's something for me to address. So I know you've done a lot of Enneagram training as well. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to talk about the value of the Enneagram, but just in general self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me give another like little intro to the Enneagram. So it's a, an ancient Greek typing system. And as you can already hear from this conversation, like we're not typing all of humanity with the, with the same nine numbers. Like Ryan and I have that in common, but we're not the same person. So even if you might be, there's so there's various versions of each number essentially. Um, so the, the way that I like to view the, the nine numbers, it's in a circular fashion and there's a bunch of triads is these are nine ways to love. These are nine ways to feel shame. These are nine ways to be vulnerable. And these are essentially nine different ways in which we see the world and in which the world sees us. So the Enneagram is my favorite tool to work for personal growth because this isn't necessarily talking about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's not talking about like, oh, for this job, it makes sense that you have these strengths or like, oh, this is your dominant personality. It really goes back to temperament, to who you are as a human deep down 
and your job and who you are and what you do is not relevant at all in discovering how to live your best life. So for me, the Enneagram has given me permission to embrace who I truly am, to be able to go back and trace, not to quote the office, but like, how did I become the way that I am? Um, Why am I the way that I am? And then also to find a meter of, it's not that I'm going to be a hundred percent superhuman and incredible all of the time, but there's an unhealthy way to live my life. There's an average way to live my life and there's a healthy way to live my life. And where am I falling in that spectrum? And it's really almost like a daily choice and a daily conversation of like, how am I seeing the world today? How am I handling myself and, and how can I grow in that? Um, and you know, each number has their, has a sin. There's, you know, different wings. There's different places you go in stress and in growth. Um, And there's so many similarities between the numbers, but there's also fundamental differences that have allowed me to have greater empathy and compassion for other people, but also for myself. And as a result of that, being able to love people better, to serve people better, um, and just really understand my true motivations. Um, I always recommend reading about the Enneagram and typing yourself. Um, Don't take tests, but if you do, it's fine. Just don't let it dictate what you think you might be. Um, And really the, the purpose is, the underlying question is what intrinsically motivates you as a human being and figure out out of those nine numbers, what resonates most with you. And that is most likely what you'll be. Um, as far as the personal growth aspect with that, like I said, the empathy and the compassion is huge because these anything else that's out there for personality for the most part is very performative. And this is just the essence of who I am. And whether I quit my job tomorrow, I am still that at my core and I could still have a happy life. Um, so for me, the Enneagram has allowed me to remove the masks that I have felt I've had to wear in the fight of nature versus nurture and just really go be as close to what I was created and designed to be as far as my beliefs are concerned. And then just owning my identity. Like I am also a very angry person and it's not angry in that I'm psycho and I'm yelling at people at Walmart or whatever, but it's more of like things irk me in a different way, or I'm very passionate about what I do, or I'm all about principles, or, you know, I have a dominant seven wing, which means that I just can be over the top ridiculous and do just lavish, insane things. Um, Like for example, I win at Christmas and I mean that in every and everything. Like I give people gifts they don't even know they want and they change their lives. Um, so that's just really a part of my personality. And, and I use that obviously for good and to my advantage. So I, I just recommend getting to know yourself in a very deep and intimate way. It's going to feel very vulnerable and you're going to feel like you're reading your diary, but it's so worth pushing through that. Um, and of course, my my one rule is never typing anybody else. Unfortunately, the way that I was introduced to the Enneagram was by my former friends, I guess, because they were like, oh my gosh, you're such an eight, read this. And basically an eight can be described as a psychopath. And I was like, awesome. So this is how everybody sees me. Like I'm just insane. Um, so that was definitely used to weaponize. And um, I'm definitely not a fan of that. The value I've found in understanding myself is that I can communicate it to somebody. So if I am having a difficult... This is like basically where I fail the most in my life, I feel like. If I were had to pick one way, is communicating ahead of time 
if I'm upset about something, right? Like I, I, I don't catch it very sometimes. And so I get in these insane arguments that like, I've like sort of, we, it started with maybe we don't even disagree, but like I went down this road over here and then somebody didn't respond. And all of a sudden now we're in this like intense argument that I can't, I won't just be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's not what I meant. Right. And I feel like it has, it has, like you said, it's like sort of turned me on to not just how I feel, but being able to communicate that to somebody else. And so mm -hmm. they can then understand me. And I feel like understanding breeds compassion. And yeah. so like, even if you do something that's horrible, if someone can possibly say, I kind of understood why you would do that, we have a greater chance of healing and reconciliation, I feel, versus I don't know this person, how could they possibly do that? And in a sense, I feel like that's partially what's missing in our culture at large is a non-desire to understand other people who have different views than us. It's mm -hmm. like a complete judgment on they don't agree with me. I want to be right about everything. How could I be wrong? And I've been there. And so it has put me in this place of always questioning, like, do I know what I'm talking about now? Yeah. And yeah, but I place to be. I think too though it it doesn't necessarily rob you of your confidence. It just kind of gives you a different perspective and just the ability to better communicate. And that's why I'm so passionate about getting finishing my certification because I really think that this is going to be the key to helping the music community with suicide prevention and with just depression and and trauma. If you can articulate like, "Hey, I'm a highly sensitive learner." please don't destroy me when I show up and I've just, you know, not done the best job that I could do. Like I need to be talked to in this way, or I need this in communication. Like, for example, I'm married to an Enneagram one, which they, they're called the help, the reformer, not the helper, the perfectionist. And, um, you know, I also like to use as a rule of thumb that we lead with a number that we are. So it's not like I am an eight, I lead with an eight because I am not my number. Um, and even trivial things like uh, the dishwasher, I've talked about this before, like you have to load it a very specific way. Like in his world, there is a right way to do everything. Um, <laughs> so just kind of having those moments where it's like, wow, this really means a lot to you. So I can either just like not die on that mountain and just like let you do it. Or I can just be open about like, actually, that does hurt my feelings that you think that I don't do it well, or, you know, just kind of picking your battles and, and seeing the world with compassion and seeing how others, well, like with the things that trigger and stress others out, like how you can better support that. So, you know, in my world where I'm married to someone that can always improve something, I'm, I'm fully aware of the pressure that that must have in his mind and and the the level of, of criticism that his inner critic must have if you're seeing everything through the lens of it could be better. Um, so the way we argue is different. The way that we communicate is different as a result of that information. And I've just found it so helpful with my own team, with my clients, uh, with my friends, just really leading with that empathy, compassion, and understanding that we're all actually doing the best that we can. As an eight, I used to think that no, that people just needed to work harder or they just sucked. But after really learning a lot, having a lot of come to Jesus talks with myself, um, we really are doing the best we can and there are different ways to do things and that's okay. Yeah, I have this memory of being in undergrad and just feeling like, I mean, I was a high functioning individual, you know, but I didn't understand myself. And I remember just feeling like, I, it's okay with me if it's like people, we're all at different levels. Like, that's fine. But I just don't understand why people don't work as hard as I do. You know, I couldn't like, I couldn't wrap my head around 
how somebody could not work as as hard or practice as much. And we're all like different people. We have different values. We have different relationships. Like maybe not everybody in that room wanted to win an orchestra job at all costs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just interesting. I have that ability to sort of say like, as casually as that, it's okay. Like other people have different things that matter to them. And, you know, one of the very, very important conversations we've had too, I'll try to frame this to the best of my ability. I have been like a fixer in my life. You know, I I don't like saying this, but I've been someone who like, I see someone struggling and I'm like, I can help. I can like fix this. And not that I'm actively saying that in my head, but if I just think about it for a second, I'm like, that's what's happening. I'm, tr- I'm like, I want to be the person that can help make this person feel better. That is important to me, which is insane as I say it right now. <laughs> and, you know, it has led, I think, to a desire for a period of time to w- need that validated in the things that I shared either on social media or in a lesson or in some capacity of like, I would like to help you, but I sort of need to know that it helped you or else it's not enough. Like I can't just put something into the ether and trust that if someone is helped by it, that's good enough for me. And, um, this, I say like, I feel like it came to a head when I would make these captions. I used to like run everything by you because that's why that's part of why we were working together. And I would make this caption. That's like, I look forward to providing educational, entertaining, inspiring content. And you would say every time, why do you keep saying inspiring? And I think that led me to finally acknowledging that like, I am serving, helping, like that is the thing I'm serving. Not like the greater good or just my community, but I'm serving like the idea that I need to help people. And I want to address this because I bet I'm not the only one who feels that my salvation comes through the fact that I've helped somebody else. I'm just kind of curious what your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that are, what your experiences with other people who might be similar to me, or just how you felt you were going to try to guide me through that. Yeah. I mean, I first too want to recognize that I'm certain that that pissed you off and I'd love for you to like expand on that too. But because I feel like I want to make sure that this journey, people recognize that it was very difficult and it was definitely an uphill battle. Um, it wasn't like, you know, just this casual conversation of like, everything's great, just do the thing. Like, no, it was a shit show at different times. Um, I feel like the, to answer your question, the inspiring and all this stuff, like it really just comes from a place of ego. And um, I'll use myself as an example, like, very early on in my in my life as an educator, I had to disassociate myself from my students' successes or failures and really allow that to be their successes or failures. Like, and as a coach, like I take zero credit for your success. That is 100,000% your effort entirely. And I am just in the posture of gratitude that I was able to play a small role in that journey. And I think because we're not aware of our feelings for the most part and and we haven't taken the time to just really get to know who we are we try and project that on other people and in other situations and then we just our identity is wrapped in you know what other people are thinking which is what i said initially like that that was your achilles situation where you just really cared about what other people thought and you really wanted to help people but it wasn't 
a selfless act. And I think that was part, the hard part of the journey was just recognizing our humanity and how flawed we are. And in spite of that, trying to serve others, like there, there is no perfect mentor or teacher and you can still help and be a work in progress. Yeah, that's something that's interesting to me because I feel like we have this bird, this I have had and possibly other people can identify with, like we can only go to the people who have it together. Like those are the people that can help. And if we're sort of a work in progress, then like, what do I have to share? I haven't figured it out yet. And I feel like that's an interesting part about the music world where like the people, it seems like uh, there are people who can help and people are teaching lessons, but like there's this upper echelon of people that are able to just like, they're the ones that are sharing and saying things. And then we're like, that person's got it together. I'll trust that, right? And I just feel like um, I have really tried over the time of working with you to come to understand that I should resist that in myself. Mm -hmm. And I should try to show some of the mess and I should try to show some of the imperfectness and not, and like be, honestly, it's terrifying to like what I, my, my beach project on YouTube right now, it's terrifying because I have now made the commitment to, I've like actually stated it on a video to do the recordings in one take, regardless. I'm just tired of trying to figure out, should I edit this note? Should I edit this note? How many do I have to leave in there? Now I just want to just do a one take thing, but that's terrifying because it's not perfect. And now people are going to hear, oh, like he doesn't have it all together. And it's just like, we need more. In my opinion, we need more of that. We need less of the perfection, less of the, I've got it all put together. And it's a weird conversation to have with yourself. And I know that you, I mean, having just gone through a rebrand, I know you mm -hmm. know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, we're going to redo this whole thing that I've been doing for a while. Um, I would love for you to share, maybe not the mess, so to speak, but just kind of what the rebrand was like for you in terms of uh, you know it's going to be a good thing. You've invested a lot of money, but there's still no guarantee on the other side that it's going to be like a fruitful sort of thing to invest. And I'm just curious if you have some behind the scenes to share from that. Yeah. So with what you just described, I always like to talk about um, Brene Brown's FFTs, which she defines that as effing first times. And I think as creatives, we could so benefit from embracing the beginner mindset and just being okay with like that hard beginning, messy middle and like kind of figuring it out in the end or whatever the end means. Um, and I feel like that was just such a interesting part of, of the journey as a creative. I'm, I'm working with a trombonist in the New York Phil and um, I don't know, for those of you that play trombone, you know how like barbecue is like major in the brass world, um, grilling and doing, making brisket. I don't know, whatever. Cooking is like a thing for the guys. Um, and you know, he is like very fancy and famous. And, you know, he's like, oh, well, I'm, I guess I'm just going to put this online now and, and just kind of ask people for help and advice. And in that process, we were talking and he was telling me that he's actually gotten better at his instrument because he's embraced something that he's a complete beginner at. And he has to ask for help and he has to ask questions. And I just think that that's such a beautiful thing to be in a space of like, I mean, it's terrifying. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but like, it's, it's so awesome to just be like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try my best, even though I have this standard in the other parts of my life where it's, you know, excellent or whatever. Um, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I kind of want to share more. This would be a great resource to have, but I don't like you just taught me how to record. I don't even know what we just did. And you know, I'm still, it's still a learning <laughs> process. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that for the rebrand, um, I really 
am grateful that I have the opportunity to stay in touch with my clients and the experience that they're going. Like I'm not as a coach so far removed from like what it's like to struggle with something or what it's like to whatever. Um, and I consciously put myself in these situations, but for my rebrand, I had to double up on therapy on my own coachings because I was changing an already perceived successful entity to my name. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who am I to like call this my name? And like, who am I to blah, blah, blah. And it was just such a, a battle. Like, yeah, it was two years in the making and it was like a bajillion hours and cost of fortune. But the actual hard work was not the brand itself, was me getting over myself, like bigging, building a big bridge and walking right over it with like, this was all about me and not understanding that it wasn't. And honestly, until I got to that place, I didn't really release it. Um, and I am so aware of that for creatives as you're launching an album or a YouTube channel or your podcast or your blog, or even Kathleen and her art store. Like there's just like this personal reckoning of this is not about me. I have nothing to prove and so much to share. And, and that's what actually makes it successful, not what it looks like, because there's so many companies out there that look amazing. And there's just so many other places to go invest your money and, and people to work with that are just as qualified. But it's that relationship and that trust that you build through being authentic that people want to come for and more importantly, stay for. I found in my trajectory uh, in the past year, um, I've learned that like, I've sort of learned, I remember thinking there's these things that bring me joy, you know, hanging out with my kids brings me joy. Uh, spending time with my clients brings me joy. Spending time with Kathleen, working out, practicing the trumpet, playing, you know, there's these things that bring me joy, but to me, trying to figure out what makes me happy was a very different conversation. I don't know if you draw a distinction between those, but I've sort of come to draw a distinction. And I, I feel like I finally found, because you, you spoke about it earlier, that there are threads about us that can run no matter what we're doing. It doesn't have to be performing us is what defines us, but it can be the way we approach the performing, the way we approach the process, that can be the same no matter what we're learning or the kind of person we are when interacting with other people. That can be the same regardless of what situation we're in. And I find the thing that makes me happy is just like encouraging people. Unfortunately, it's like doesn't generate like, you know, all it generates is like good vibes, but like I've come to a place where that's like, that's good enough for me, you know? Like it's, it's very interesting to be in a place of what I what I view is like total surrender of like, Man, today I'm just going to try to encourage some people and we'll see where that takes me. But it simplifies the process so much for me. It's just like, all right, that's all I got to do. I just got to make a video that I hope can encourage somebody. I hope I can make a podcast episode with Karen today that somebody will listen to and be encouraged by it. All I got to do is when I spend some time with my kids, encourage them that they can do this. It like simplifies it. I am just someone who wants to encourage people. And that is a thread that can run through everything. But that took like over a year to figure out. And that is where I kind of want to like sit for a second because you just can't to do this work. In my opinion, you just cannot be in a hurry. And that was one of my biggest blocks. I feel like was like, I need to figure this out as soon as I can, then I'll be good. Then I'll do it. I'll have everything figured out. I just got to roll. But the second I was like, what if I just don't try to figure it out? What if I just do this next thing right in front of me? And I only worry about today. 
that like, I feel like I've unlocked so many valuable insights about my business, about how I want to interact with people, who I am from that. But again, it took me like a year or more to be able to like ask those questions. And um, I don't, that's sort of the end of my thought there. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's just, yeah, you can't, we have to be very countercultural, I think, in this. Like, this is not like a, a quote card inspiration. All of a sudden, everything is fine, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, this takes a lot of time. And so I've asked this question a lot recently, and I would love your opinion, and maybe we can just dive into it. Why is it worth it? Like, what do you get on the other side of spending one year or more or 10 or whatever your entire life? Why is it worth it to keep coming back every day, asking the questions, fighting the hard and the good fight to get there? What do you feel like uh, is worth it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I feel like life is so precious and we don't, or we're not taught, it's, it's not in our musician construct to really think about that. It's just the go, 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 go. And to me, it's been so freeing in this next season and decade of my life to know that I don't have to figure it all out today or tomorrow or this year or the next 10 years. Like I have my whole life, hopefully it's a long one to kind of enjoy that process and that journey. Um, and I think that all of this is worth it because, you know, you're, you're born with a temperament. And what I mean by that is, you know, some babies are happy, some babies are colicky, some babies are, you know, smiley, you know, not whatever. And then nature versus nurture shapes that temperament into who you are today. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to fit whatever environment you're in and putting on masks, taking masks off, putting on airs, pretending, taking things that are not yours to carry, that you were not created to carry, that are not in the cards for you to carry. Um, and this kind of work just has really allowed me to sit and, and start shedding the layers of bullshit that just aren't my business to be involved in or caring about. It has allowed me to live a fulfilling life, even in the midst of a disaster. Um, it has equipped me with the language and, and the knowledge to know that at any point I can shift to the direction that I am going. And I am no longer in these like velvet handcuffs to whatever I said I was going to do when I was 18. Like I am able to get out of anything that I am doing if that doesn't serve me, if I don't feel like it's the right move or the right vibe. Um, and that just gives your work so much more purpose. Like even in the midst of this global pandemic and everything going on, like I, and it's been very difficult for all of us and I'm not an angel or a saint floating around, but it's given me an opportunity to wake up every day encouraged and excited to serve because I can feel the pain and I'm right there with every single person. Like there's been tons of coachings where I've like had to squeeze my butt cheeks so I don't like burst into tears with my person crying. Um, and that's just so amazing that I would get to live a life that doing the things that fulfill me and that can actually help other people in real time, even in the midst of a global crisis. And I don't know that I would have felt like I deserved to live this life had I not gone through, you know, the last 10 years of, of that personal discovery. And, and even now I'm in a new phase where, like I said earlier, I'm reaping the harvest of poor health as far as like just the poor choices I made in my early twenties and just having to take a step back and once again, be reminded of my humanity. And that goes against my personality style where like I, there is a moment where I just cannot do any more work. Um, and just really 
being aware of that has for sure made me surrender the outcome and, and just be really aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing and that it is so worth it, even the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a great answer. I mean, I love what you said about the velvet handcuffs and not being attached to, I made this decision at 18 and that's what I have to do. Like we somehow let 18-year-olds mm -hmm. decide what they're going to do with their lives. That's what it was like for me. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've spoken about this in a few classes and it's like, I think it's great. I think it's great to have goals. I think it's great to have things to motivate you, but it's like also acceptable to decide you want something different for any reason that you want. And I mean, not all reasons are good reasons. Leaving because somebody's mean to you is not necessarily a great reason. It is a reason. Um, and one of the things I feel that I struggled with the most is this shift of like, I mean, I, in a sense, I find that I, all of my playing videos have possibly like not hurt, but have like helped to not establish me as a coach because it's like people see me as a performer and I have to sort of establish myself now as somebody who can say some things and can encourage people and to help them like solve their problems. And it's interesting because that is going to require me to like let go of what p other people's view of me already is. And you basically are then defining yourself. And then how do you know that that's the right thing? How do you know that that's how you should define yourself? Like you don't, I mean, you know this, but it's just like hard to describe how many times there's two or three thoughts that's ran through my head with this practice thing. It's like, am I just late to the party? <laughs> like, do people already know this? And I'm just like late to the party. Another one was like, is this a mistake? Like, should I just have kept going down that other path? You know, like, should I just have persevered? You know, cause I have, you know, uh, that's a thing. It's just like, just keep going. You'll get there. But that's if you want it, you know? And so then how do I know if I want it is related to this or that? And I think that's the value of the work is you actually get to sift through that and answer that question. Am I doing this for a good reason? And for me, what I feel like the work with you has done has brought me from, I want to get out so I don't have to deal with anything to, I still have a desire to at the right time, move on, but because I feel I can serve in other ways that are fulfilling and valuable to me. Um, I have found through this process that playing the trumpet at a high level is what motivates me. It's not necessarily orchestral music specifically. And that took a long time to sift through. Is it like, is this real? Is this right? Is this the thing that, you know, am I going against my 18 year old self? You know what I mean? All of those kinds of questions, but I have the confidence and then saying it out loud is the next big battle, right? Making it real by saying, this is how I actually feel. And that just takes time. It just takes actual time. So that's an encouragement for anyone out there who is like in that space of like, is this what I want? Hopefully COVID-19 to some extent has caused us all to stop, to step back and say like, I'm either reignite, like sort of reinvigorated to follow that path or maybe it's not exactly what I wanted. Um, and then you're allowing yourself the time to do it. That was a bit of a ramble, but hopefully it was related to what we were talking about. Yeah, I have something else to add. I have a good rule of thumb in those moments and asking myself those questions where I say like other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And it's really served me because if I was living my life based on the opinions or suggestions of other people, 
um, I would have never followed my, my gut. Like when I was building my business seven years ago, all my mentors and all the people in my life were like, that's a terrible idea. And it was a terrible business model, but had I not gone in that direction, I would have probably never realized all the gaps that were needed that I was going to be filling. Um, so yeah, I mean, take things under advisement, but don't predicate what you're doing based on what other people are going to think of you. And if at any point, Ryan, you decide that you don't want to coach, you could always go back to what you're doing. Like nothing is set in stone except for death. So live your life. Yeah, that was, that reminds me of, I was going to talk to you about boundaries, right? This is like, (laughs) I had no idea how important boundaries were and how many boundaries, like I had been broken. I had let people in that did not belong in, you know? And I think the thing, I think one of the reasons my life feels more fulfilling right now is I'm just really mostly or only concerned about things that I can control. So like I can get up, I can make the choice to get up. I can make a choice to do this productive thing or this thing or this thing or this thing. And it's not like the outside world is not getting in nearly as much. I feel like I've been able to draw my boundaries, what I'm cool with, what I'm not cool with. I would love your take on the importance of boundaries. I know you've done way more research, way more reading and helped way more people. So I would love your opinion on boundaries and how we begin to start asking these questions of like, are my boundaries been broken? Because you the real value is we're we're just taking on things that aren't ours to take. We're just holding things and are taking up our psychic energy, which is limited with things we have no business. We were never designed to hold. And so, yeah, I would just love sort of your general thoughts uh, about that. Yeah. So I always recommend reading this book called Boundaries. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud. And it just does a beautiful job of explaining it in a very simple, uh, not super scientific way. Um, the way that I define boundaries is it's where I draw the line in the sand for myself. Like this isn't a a judging pla- judging place. And, and that's where a lot of people get stressed out where they think like, oh, I'm going to set my boundary, but I'm going to like ruffle this person's feathers and like, you know, cast judgment on them or make them uncomfortable. But the reality is the boundary is for you. It's not for other people. So like I will draw my boundary of I don't go past this line, but the other person on the other side of my boundary, like live your life, like no judgment, be free. I just can't participate in that because it's going to affect me. And I think that's where the the beauty of the boundary is because there's that self-awareness and all of us as humans have an element of self-preservation, but we seem to neglect that from an emotional standpoint. And it's like, well, self-preservation as like, I'm not going to touch the fire because it's going to burn me. It serves us. And so would, I'm not going to engage in this conversation that's going to trigger or stress me out. Or, hey, right before the audition, I'm not going to go listen to everybody warm up or just things like that. Those are all boundaries. And I think we just kind of shy away because we think it might make us come off as snobby or elitist or highbrow. But in reality, it's it's what you need to be the best version of yourself. In my opinion, it's what gives us a competitive edge as elite performers to know what our boundaries are, to know where we stand with things and to just be aware of this cannot happen. In or, and if this does happen, I cannot give 100%. And then you take more responsibility by being aware of, of what you need and, and don't need. Yeah, I had heard Brene Brown talk about this and say, like, when you set your boundaries, everybody who's inside of that, you're free to love and to care for 100%. Like, they're within that. But what happens is people break, you know, they they enter our boundaries, we let them in, and but we're not comfortable with it. And so now we're like half 
loving this person, half giving to them because well, we feel out of obligation. Mm -hmm. We have to do this thing that we don't want to do that they said. It could be as simple as your friend is moving and they've roped you into helping them move because they should have like had a moving company, you know, like we've all been there. Mm -hmm. We've all had the, cause you have a truck. Now you're like everyone's best friend for moving and stuff like that. And it could go as far as, you know, someone you're friends with like has had like an emotional or a mental, like they're in your head. Like they have, the, they have, they're, you know, they have rent space in your head and they can say things and they can do things and it makes <laughs> you feel less about yourself. Like it goes, it's a spectrum, a broad spectrum of mm -hmm. harmless. Like I don't have time to do that. Sorry to like, I need to take care of my, my mental space so I can be, the fullest version of myself. And I feel like that's one of the value, the benefits of working with you is, it's so funny. The only thing that has ever happened between us, I'll, I'll tell this and then I'll say, um, I'll, I'll say maybe one other thing, but the only thing that's ever been angered me is when I asked you, when would it be time to go? And you said, when no situation at the, in, in your job bothers you, that will be the time to go. And I was like, <laughs> It doesn't bother. I'm like yelling at you about how it doesn't bother me. You know, um, I'm curious why, like, I know why I know why you said that now, but I'm curious, like for anybody listening, uh -huh. that seems very counterintuitive, right? To, to get to a place of like yeah. reconciliation and healing before, like, why is that important? And why was that important for you to tell me? Yeah. Um, that's definitely one of the, the blessing and curses of, of, being on this side of the equation where it's like, oh, this is not going to go well, but this is the right thing. Um, I feel like it it really came from a place of there needs to be a certain level of just acceptance, awareness, boundaries. And I mean, a good rule of thumb is to just never do any major decisions or not take any action when you're upset about something. And especially when there's trauma, where there's resentment, where there's just so much at stake. Um, I really felt like on a just basic level, like we just needed to breathe and figure out what was the actual issue. Um, in your particular case, it wasn't what had happened. It wasn't the, you know, maybe embarrassment that you have felt and just inappropriate conversations, or it wasn't any of the actual issues. It was a much deeper issue of deserve and of, feeling like you were being controlled that you needed to face head on. And I feel like as musicians, sometimes we're all controlled. We're controlled by our finances. We're controlled by the prestige of our positions back to having velvet handcuffs. And we just feel like that is the best that I could do, or that is what I deserve. And this is just me paying my dues. And I just don't believe that to be true. So it was a conversation of like, you need to get over what happened, face where this trauma actually lies. Um, it goes back to your childhood. It goes back to a lot of things that were just really deep and really personal um, that going to another job, winning another job, starting a new business was only going to bring those same issues to that new venture. But instead you've d decided to deal with them and now you're mostly free of that in this new endeavor that you're doing. And you now get to bring the new improved version of yourself to whatever you're being called to instead of like trying to put a bandaid over our trauma. Yeah, I would say the thing that I have come to understand, this is sort of a multifaceted thing. I've come to understand that one of the biggest frustrations about entering a orchestral job for me was when I was in school, 
It was beautiful. Hung out with all my friends. We'd play Copeland 3 together. We'd go get drunk after the show. It was like this very communal <laughs> bond, right? And then we would, like when you get into a job, it becomes a job. Like it's the reality of the situation. It's a job. Like, yes, we are performing orchestral music and that's awesome. But it's it, there seemed to be this air of it's not only about the music. It's about like some people want what they want or they're like, you know what? This is what my thing, my contractor, this is what it says that I have to do. That's what I'm going to do. Like it feels like it just becomes about a legalistic approach to performing in a an orchestra job rather than like we love what we do. And I'm not saying that ever. It's actually one of the beautiful parts about my podcast is I've been able to interview people who are like, I truly love what I do. I'm truly thankful for it. And that is a beautiful thing for me. And I know that those people are out there. Um, but I feel like that was one of the parts uh, that I struggled with was like just seeing it not become what I thought it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this beautiful thing. And it just became this like grind, you know? And then it's like, well, I'm going to go out and play recitals. I'm going to go play tons of hard recitals and people, then they'll see like, oh, this guy is awesome or whatever. And then it just didn't turn into anything. And then it wasn't, oh, well, this is like no fun anymore. And then it just led me to this place of like nothing matters at all, you know? And I feel like what I've learned from this whole entire process is like, you know what? I can't control anybody else and how they feel and what their life experiences has led them to feel the way that they feel. But what I can do is if I feel this strongly about it, I can leave. I can possibly be a coach and start sharing like how we find beauty in the work that we do so that the job isn't everything, that we have our own thing on the side. And so the job just becomes an expression or a display of what we're already doing and not the totality. Like we're talking about letting go of the result. That's something I believe very deeply in, but it took me until now to realize I can just go share that. I don't have to like wait until I get to some place. And you have been a huge help in understanding that and helping me sort of, that's that's like a long statement, but um, I'm imagining you have other people who feel, other clients who have experienced very similar things, realizing they don't have to wait to become the person or to do or to share the thing that they want. Yeah, it's definitely the best part of my job. Yeah, it's just that process and and watching people come to that conclusion, but not just like say that they feel that, like actually actively feel that because as you can attest, there's a peace and a, um, I don't know, just gratitude that comes from knowing that you're more than your job, that you have choices, that you're not stuck in any particular situation. And yeah, I mean again, this wasn't easy to get to this place. And you're just at the beginning of your journey um, in that. I mean, we all are. That also upset me a lot. Every time I had Mm -hmm. a breakthrough, you'd say, oh, you have no idea what's coming. And I'd be like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sorry, I just, that was one another frustrating (laughs) aspect. Yeah, I would say I actually thought about this and sort of just like, it came into my head. I would say that this work for me, the reason it matters, and I can, I've sort of like branded it as the three P's. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I, I feel that I just have purpose for my life and my work and what I'm doing and why it matters. Uh, and it, I know, and it's beautiful because like, I don't, I actually know that for myself. Like no one has given that to me. No one is like, mm-hmm. I think that this is a good thing for you to be doing. Right. Like I'm not getting my approval from some outside, you know, like, 
I used to get uh, approval from, you know, uh, former teachers and like they were huge influential people, but I've been able to actually step like they were never supposed to be that forever. I was supposed to be able to step up and make my own decisions in life. Right. But I feel like a lot of people get trapped in this former person who was the person guiding me. I haven't figured out how to own the process and begin to move forward. So that is where this has led me is actually the confidence of saying, I believe that this work I'm doing is important. And I know that for myself. And that purpose, I feel like has given me a lot of peace. Because I'm like, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing, or at minimum, I'm doing the thing I believe I'm supposed to be doing, whether or not I'll learn something one week from now that throws everything up on end. And then I find that the peace, being able to have this peace means that I have less anxiety while persevering through the very difficult spot where it seems like nobody is paying attention. You're not getting any feedback from anybody on the stuff that you're doing. And you're just like, is this helping? Am I on the right track? Like you ask that question a lot, like as a, as a creative, am I on the right track? But feeling like mm-hmm. this is what my purpose is, is helps me have a lot more perseverance because I'm less concerned about, is it making a difference and more? I just need to keep yeah. going. For sure. I feel like this allows you also to not make it about you. And there's this like reconciliation with your ego. Like the ego gets such a bad rap, like, oh, it's this bad thing that makes you, I don't know, prideful or whatever, but the ego is actually designed to keep you alive. But there comes a certain point in your career, again, through nature and nurture and your influence where it's just something that actually holds you back. And that's really, in my opinion, the root of imposter syndrome and all these things that kind of hold us back. Um, So I think through this process of just being at peace and and surrendering and just understanding, you know, that you do have the peace and the autonomy to do what you wish to do um, and that you're not defined by other people's opinions or your accolades or any of that. Like very early on, this is going to translate poorly, but my dad would always say like, you never go to bed with prestige. Like nobody really cares who you actually work with. Nobody really cares like, you know, where you sit or how much you make or whatever. It's really how you made them feel and and the impact that you have. Like legacy, as you know, from my podcast has like always been a huge question. Like what, what are you going to leave? And, And the question that I always ask that people get all stressed out is like, if you didn't reap the rewards of your hard work in your lifetime, would you still do it? And that's a really tough pill to swallow. It's like, if I didn't see the results of all my effort in my entire lifetime, would I still pursue what I'm doing? And for me, the answer is yes. And and that is for me, peace and wealth and, and prosperity is just knowing that even if I can't see my vision, I know that I'm disrupting the industry in such a way that my legacy will have that happen. So at that same time that you asked me to write a eulogy, right? I was thinking... <laughs> of like, well, who would be there, right? And then I asked, I feel like one of the most pivotal questions of my life, what if it was Kathleen and the kids and those were the only people at my funeral? Would that be enough? And I was honest enough with myself to say, I can't just say yes, Mm -hmm. you know? Like it might not be no, but I definitely don't know the answer to that question. And that was such an important thing for me to realize that like, I, I like need something in addition to what I have, you know, like there's always, it feels like there's always going to be this, what I have is great. But at that time I felt like, well, but this other thing will be great or this other thing and to build to here. And once I get to this place, it'll be great. And I feel like what you were talking about sparked this, 
you know, I was asking a client, we were talking about helping people and I, it's the same question, just in a different way. I asked him, what if you only helped one person in your entire life and they told you this was helpful? Would that be sufficient? And then the other question I asked him, what if you helped a million people, but no one ever told you? Like, would you be, would that, would you have found a way to live a satisfying life without knowing whether or not your work helped somebody or not? And like, that's an impo- almost an impossible question to answer right out of the gate if you're being real with yourself. Like you were saying, like, you know, like if I didn't see the results, like, would it be enough? Like anyone who just goes like, oh yeah, has either done the work and know it or they're just not being real. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so those questions now unequivocally, demonstrably, uh, I can't think of any more big words. Uh, it, it is totally true. I, I I would be totally fine if it was in some ways, that's like almost what I would want now. It's like Kathleen, the kids, the people that are here, my people, I'm trying to allow myself to be available to help to the maximum of my ability, but I don't need it anymore. I don't need someone to say you have helped for me to feel okay. And what, this is sort of the final realization of the whole conversation is because I don't need it, I'm not begging anymore. When I first started with trying to talk to clients, I was like, like, oh, like, is this okay? Like, is this amount of money I'm asking you? I might maybe not saying it with those words, but the way that I'm approaching them, like, is this okay? Do you feel like this is too much money? Like now I feel like it's like, this is what it is. I feel like I have purpose. If if you're not going to work with me, that's okay. Maybe someday when the timing is right, that's okay. But I'm not like desperate because I don't need it to be proven to be true. And you're living that, but you're just further down the line, you know, like you have actually seen a lot of the result of like a lot of your hard work in the early days where maybe, so I'd be curious what kept you going? Like when you were possibly in a space where you're unsure about where it's going to go, like what things kept you going? Yeah. Um, I feel like something that I did, one of the few things that I did well um, when I first started was always try and and find a solution to the problem. Like I didn't set out to build a profitable business. Everybody in my company would agree. Um, I did not set out to be famous or to make money or to, I don't know, be, be an innovator like a lot of... Um, women in the nonprofit world are just like shouting at their Instagrams, trying to be like Gary Vee. Like that was not the vibe at all. Like I literally just wanted to help orchestral musicians get masterclasses, do CDs and like feel like they were having a happy life. Because I, when I was working at the Boston Symphony, I was realizing that they just weren't. And everything that I've done has always been in a way in the service of others in the sense that I wanted to like, hey, the classical musicians don't have good websites and good branding. Let me help and let me see if I can help and figure this out. Um, emerging artists don't have a platform. There's a lot of trauma, a lot of whatever, as I was dealing with that. Let me see if I can create a program around that. Like photo, video is not accessible to musicians. You know, the average musician spends like $600 on photos and can use maybe two photos. And then, you know, 10 years later, they have the same freaking headshot and it's gross. Let's see if we can make this affordable, accessible and educate people. And like every single facet of the business has come from that place. Um, so by ignorant bliss, I'd never had a chance to really think about like, 
why am I doing this? Or like, is this even profitable? Because it was kind of like running a nonprofit where you just are flying the plane and building it at the same time. Um, so part of it was that, like, I didn't have the time to think about like, oh, this is not a viable business venture. Um, but the other part too was I just had this desire to to allow people to see, to to facilitate people seeing the greatness that was already there. That's why I love photography. I love directing everything because people feel awkward and they feel, and we all have our body insecurities and our whatever, but like being able to show a client what all of us can see and do see is just such a beautiful moment. Um, and the same thing with, with just everything, like being able to, to understand and see from a, from the beginning that all of us as creatives usually have one thing holding us back. And if we can remove that interference, it's usually ourselves, um, we can get to that next phase. And I just think that I got such a high from being such a, a facilitator in this process that it didn't really matter um, if it wasn't viable or if I was working 10 jobs or if, you know, whatever my story is, um, that serving others and seeing that result. And then of course, getting those nods or winks of like, it's working. It's like a thing, like you, you're on to something that was always also what kind of kept me going and, and just realizing that I'm just the vessel. And I've probably said that already, but like whenever I give a talk or whenever I'm, I find myself in situations where I shouldn't be or that they're just like extraordinary divine appointments, I just really can't help but think that I'm the vessel in that moment and that it's not really about me or that I haven't really earned it or that it's not like my recognition to have. It's just simply like, I'm just here to spread this thing that I happen to know. Um, and if it helps someone great and if it doesn't, um, it's okay too. Like I'm practicing or I'm gaining experience because you know, you can't improvise that either. Um, so that's really been it, like just blissful ignorance and then seeing that it was actually helping and, and serving. Yeah, I would say one of the big strong reasons why I have a desire to encourage um, for anybody who's familiar with the Bible, uh, a dude named Paul wrote the, almost the entire New Testament. And he had a friend named Barnabas for a little while. And Barnabas was the encourager for Paul. And to use this as an analogy, I just spent a lot of time wanting to be Paul in my life, like to be the person that's out there doing the thing. And I've only recently within the past, I would say like three or four weeks, started to really understand that I think most, if not all of my strengths lie in being a Barnabas, like just uh -huh. recognizing that I want to encourage people because I know and so cherish the encouragement I received in those moments where I had no idea, you know, like when I was first starting the podcast, my mastering engineer, Brandon, he's one of my best friends would just say like, I'm glad you're doing this. And it's like, mm -hmm. who is, he doesn't know anything. Like he doesn't know anything, but I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, like he's not like <laughs> someone in the music industry. That's going to be like, this is going to yeah. be popular. Like he's not this valid sense of validation that maybe I was looking for, but I was like, Oh my God, thank you for saying that. That means so much to me. Like yeah. somebody likes it, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then I remember there was a period of time where I was un, sort of like, un, not unsatisfied. I was just like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel like things are moving forward. Like the numbers aren't rising and I, it's not happening. And then I read this book that talked about, you know, encouraging things. And I, I, I actually went through all of the messages that I had received over the past like X amount of time for the podcast and counted it up. And there were like 50, let's say 50 people had reached out and said, I really enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Keep doing it. And it just like dawned on me that like, this is the thing. 
that's telling me I'm on the right path. Like if you're mm -hmm. unsure, but you're getting encouragement, that's probably a good sign that you're on the right path. Maybe no one is saying, I will pay you a million dollars for your podcast. Maybe not. But someone's saying like, there's value. You know, one guy told me he won a job from listening to the Winning the Job series. Like, how ridiculous is that? You know, that that's like a thing. I would, yeah. like you said, I, that was, I, I don't even know. I, I've never even met that guy and he would benefit in that way. And so it's interesting to me because that encouragement becomes everything when you're really putting yourself out there. And like, when you feel that, I just feel like you want to give it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Karen, I mean, we could, ex we, I feel like we could explore this for forever, um, but it feels like we have come to a point. Is there any part of this that you feel like you want to make sure that uh, we talk about any part, things you remember from sort of our work together over this past year that you feel like would be important to, um, to bring out and to talk about? Yeah. I mean, as much as I'm like, let's be done. Um, I really want to go back. Um, I feel like you, when I interview you, you on my podcast. Um, I want to go back to the struggle because I, I want to illustrate it a little bit more in that it wasn't like you're just shedding a few tears or you just like need to take yourself on a date and go have a coffee somewhere and like feel better. Like I remember boxers where you were just like yelling the whole time and you were just so furious. <laughs> it was, first of all, I felt very seen because I was like, oh, this is so nice. Um, but also I was like, wow, like there's a lot of just reckoning going on. And it's so hard to articulate what like a personal reckoning is, but you know, none of this was pretty. And it also wasn't like the movies, like you weren't like breaking shit, but it was, you know, just very emotional and, and, and also very discouraging at times and also like really exhilarating at others. And I mean, again, this is still just the beginning, but like, can you just share more about like what, as the pendulum was swinging from being out of control and in control, like how did you balance all of that? And, and how did you continue to show up? Cause at any point you could have just been like, F this, I'm just not going to do it. It's too hard. Yeah. Like that's the, that's really it for me. I just keep coming back and asking like, what makes it worth it to keep coming back? That's like the question I'm trying to answer, not in a definitive way, just getting people's perspectives because, you know, I just personally speaking, I just felt like it would be worth it. It was leading to something like it wasn't an isolated incident of this is hard. It's like, oh, this again, from my faith perspective, one of my very, very favorite Bible verses is in James. It's James chapter one, verses two through four. It's consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So this perspective, that's not the whole, the whole thing. There's one more part, but this perspective of like having joy in the hard times because these hard times refine our character. They refine who we are. They tell us more about ourselves depending on how we handle it. But the next part is, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And that part of it is like the most encouraging part is that it is leading towards a better version of myself, a more actualized, mature complete version of myself. And so all of this thing, all of this stuff that I did when I was a kid and I was like just lost because I had very little, not like, oh gosh, 
have very little guidance in some ways, you know. Um, I just struggled and I was raging against like certain things that like didn't go the way that maybe had gone for other people in terms of of personal and family type dynamics. And, um, you know, like I, I suppose I could share like one of the big struggles I've had is uh, I'm not, inc- oh, God, I don't know if I should do this. Ah, oh, gosh, I have such, like, my heart right now. I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I'm having a moment right now. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm not super close to my dad. And we have, we have like a relationship, but not a super close one. And that was a lot of anxiety and struggle for me. And what this work has done, this is the most insane thing I'm ever going to say on anything is it has given me a desire to have a relationship with my dad, which I never, ever thought I would say in my entire life. I have come to a point where I recognize that I am a flawed person. I see myself as a flawed person who has made mistakes, but can get better because it's actually happened. Like it's actually happened. Like I've improved as a human being. I'm a kinder, I'm a gentler, I'm a less angry person. And because I see myself that way, all of a sudden this sheen of like nothing was right, nothing was handled the right way. I didn't like this or I didn't like that is gone towards how I see him in particular. And now I just see him as a dude who possibly made some mistakes. And like, that's not on him. I also have a responsibility as a son that I may not have. This is another huge thing is we get vindicated. I don't know if this is where you wanted to go with this, but you get vindicated about what you think everybody should think about you and how everything should be. And you're like, I'm right. And what I learned is like, maybe I didn't do everything correctly. You know, in my job at work, there has been some difficult times with other people and some of it maybe came out of nowhere, but some of it, maybe I deserved it. You know, quote, deserve, right? Maybe I did something that could have caused this thing. Maybe I'm not in, maybe not, I'm not an innocent party in all of these things. And maybe there's a lot of nuance to life that I still have to learn. And if I can say that out loud, then I have a better chance of actually learning some of that nuance, right? And so for me, like the struggle was like, letting it go. The struggle was like, okay, here we go. Like, I'm going to go to this place. Like, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to like be crying or whatever. But the purpose of that is so that I can release it and it doesn't have to own me anymore. I can let it go and I can be a person who now has more joy and more space for other things because I'm not carrying this thing I never should have carried in the first place. And I, the only reason I could share that now is because the like I, I've actually let it go enough that that's the conclusion is that I desire a relationship with this person that like I've been so conflicted about for a lot, a long time. And I, it's, it, it has anxiety. I feel stressed right now sharing mm-hmm. that because it's not, um, well, I didn't anticipate you were going to like take this interview, but this is like, for me, this is like what it is, right? All of a sudden now I can see people and I can see their struggle. I'm a beginner. I'm learning how to use Photoshop, but it's hard. I'm learning how to make YouTube videos and everything's going wrong. And like, all of a sudden I can see people. I can say like, oh my gosh, I totally understand that struggle. You didn't feel like practicing today. I get it. I totally get it. Like tomorrow. Let's just do it to, you know, tomorrow. Or like, you have this plan. You know, I'm making plans with people. Let's just do a little bit. 
just try. Maybe you'll feel a little bit more motivation when you get in there. These are the talks I have with myself all the time in the gym. Just today, I had I didn't get to squat yesterday, so I had to bump it to today. And I have five sets of seven, and I had zero desire to do it. And I just was like, well, let's do the first set. And then I'll do the second one, right? Like I can see other people this way now. And it's just like, why don't we all see each other this way? You know, it's one of the great frustrations for me and where some of the anger is left. It's like, this is available to everybody. But it's like, you got to be willing to like ask the hard questions and you got to be willing to possibly reach out to somebody else to help with it. it like, so, like, I couldn't have done this without you. I could, without you guiding me, like, yes, maybe like there could have been somebody else that could have guided me, but like just somebody to say, think about this. Mm-hmm. Think about how this, what this might be has led me to greater peace, greater like comfort, but not in my situation, right? I would say in my job, we took a big pay cut with the orchestra. So like objectively now I think, why did I have any issues whatsoever? Like what was I upset about when I had all of these like comforts in life? And then when things are stripped away and we have no idea, I'm able to have greater peace. Well, it's the perspective I've gained from doing this work and learning about what it is to actually trust. And my in my life, actually trust God. What does that actually look like? Not just like, oh, I trust God. It's like, I have no other option because right now it seems like my life is pointed in this direction that is not resulting in financial security in this moment. Do I keep doing it or do I abandon it because I'm worried? And like, that's a level of privilege I get to have because I've had savings and I've had other provisions in the past. And so that's worth acknowledging that maybe not everybody's in this level of privilege, but I want to use that to be able to give back the education I've had, the resources I have in this room right now, the time that I have, these are privileges that I would like to be able to use to lift up and encourage other people. Basically, everything I just said is like what the struggle has been and what it's led me to, but I have just total confidence that like this is what I should be doing with my life. I don't know if that answered your question, but you made me go there. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Um, First of all, I think you need to leave your meltdown in there. Because that's actually what I was after. Not that I'm like in the business of stressing you out, but I, I really think that there's just so much value in just that authenticity. And and all of us have things like that, things that get us all choked up, things that we brush over, things that we just pretend like aren't there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is exactly what that journey's like. And and I, I really commend you for being willing to to share all of that and, you know, do it so publicly. I mean, to, to sort of sum it up, I just was telling myself it was fine. It didn't bother me. It was no big deal because I didn't want to like ask the question. I didn't want to go there and say, actually, it does bother me. Why does it bother me? Is it something I have to grow? Is it? And what I've learned is yes. The answer will always be yes. If something is bothering you, there's something you need to address in your life. In a perfect world, nothing would bother us. Like that isn't a perfect mm-hmm. world, of course. But I don't think we're, I don't, I don't, I don't want to believe that we are in a situation where like our environment needs to be perfect for us to be happy. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a realistic scenario at all. Now we're talking about, like insane stuff, right? Because there are people in the world who are struggling in ways I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. There's like injustices all over the place. And so I get to sit here from my like play, you know, this like comfy green chair talking to you on my nice computer and I can say nothing should bother us. And so I recognize this like 
thing. This like what this dissonance in what I'm saying. I totally recognize it, but all I can do is speak from my particular perspective and the struggles that I've had in my life. I've been able to overcome by dealing with it and not just mm-hmm. like, well, well, and I would say in many ways you have acted as as much of a therapist for me as I know it's not exactly therapy, but you've acted as much of a therapist in that way where you've helped me deal with what's going on. And so whether it's through you or through a therapist, like that kind of work was very, very valuable for me to do. And, you know, it's interesting to to sort of put like an even finer point on this, like in terms of faith and religion, we are told that like, God will take care of everything. <laughs> and I believe that's true a hundred percent, but it's also like there are people that he has skilled and gifted with knowledge and the ability to like actually help you. And he may bring those people into your life and we shouldn't be mm-hmm. turned off to these things that are here to help us because we're too either too proud to accept the help or we think like, no, I'll wait for that next thing that's gonna, that, that's gonna help me. You know, like there are, resources that exist everywhere to get help. And I think the most important thing to start with is just to say, maybe it's not fine. Maybe I need to deal with how I feel. That's, I think, where I started. And I just keep, that's what keeps me, if something bothers me, I ask why. I don't just say like, oh, that's not a big deal. I rarely ever brush anything off anymore. Yeah. And even like what you've just described is, is a process that you've been developing this last year of like, talking to yourself and, and self-coaching. Like I, coaching isn't just for the hour on Zoom. Coaching is a constant thing that you're doing with yourself. Like you you are the most influential person in your life because you're talking to yourself all the time. So what are these questions that you're asking? What What is that conversation like? And just, you know, thank you for for showing us what your process looks like and, and just that wide spectrum of emotion. Like I, I don't think anybody would guess that, you know, some of your personal family things are affecting your performance or have affected your performance in the past. And like, why wouldn't they? So I think it's just continuing to have that conversation with yourself and just really reconcile with like, what what else is holding me back? And, and what else do I keep on trying to numb or outwork or, or not deal with and, you know, find the help of a professional to, to do that with? I can't believe you made me do it. <laughs> I didn't. I know. Well, it just feel it felt like a logic. It just was like that. This is the next thing. Like this is the next logical thing to say, because that's really. I mean, the sh- it's like so funny, right? We have this thing like right in front of us, which is I have this difficulty at work, or I have like not satisfaction in my life, right? And we think it's like gonna be the thing right in front of us, but it's not, right? It's like this thing that's like hidden way away. You like tucked it in a chest, like. 20 years ago and you like threw away the key and you're like, that's the thing that's actually bothering you. Like you said, that one thing, like that thing in that chest, that's what's bothering you. That's the thing holding you back. It's not like, oh, I have this difficulty because this person's been mean to me. It's like, you need to deal Mm -hmm. with that, that thing. And once you deal with that thing, this is like, in my opinion, the most encouraging thing ever is freedom is on the other side. Like freedom from that thing is on the other side of dealing with it. So I would say that I feel free. Like I feel free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're able to help other people because of that. You know, historically speaking, hurt people hurt people. And I think if we want to build a world or an industry that is just loving and full of 
people that uplift each other. We have to lead by example. And that's why I'm so passionate about mental health and advocacy, because your job is to take care of yourself to then be able to help others. So you put your oxygen mask on first before helping other people. And that's just the lesson that I have to keep learning over and over and over. Um, but it's so true. And now you're going to be a better educator, a better leader, a better performer, better section mate, you know, anything um, because you are taking care of yourself and your mental health. Yeah. Well, now, is there anything else that you want to talk about? <laughs> no, no. I think that's plenty. I mean, we could always talk for a bajillion yeah, hours, yeah. but I think this is enough overwhelm. Yeah. Well, again, for those of you that are still with us, <laughs> um, my main and my main goal with this was to serve to show that this work sucks, but it's incredibly worth it. And to encourage you to, I mean to think about some of these things that we've talked about, uh, to, to sort of look and peel back the layers and all those kinds of things, to possibly reach out to somebody who might know how to help you um, if you are that serious about doing it. But nobody can make you do it. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the kind of the unfortunate reality is it has to come from a strong desire. And I mean, my desire was sort of like financial freedom or freedom from being controlled. And I achieved that actually, right? Like I actually have that now, but it did not come in the form that I thought it did. And so it's just hopefully an encouragement of an episode um, to this, this work. This work matters. And I will happily expose my demons and share with you guys <laughs> if it helps even one person like we see themselves differently and see that process. And I know Karen feels similarly. Yeah, absolutely. Karen, if anybody wants to talk to you, how would they get in touch? Yeah. Um, I hang out on Instagram. So Karen.qbdes. I have like a bajillion brands. So any of those brands, podcasts, the agency, um, and then just my website, KarenQBDes.com. I know Karen does, just like I do, she does um, oh, yeah. uh, discovery calls, uh, free 30-minute meetings. And so um, if you want to check out, maybe you have one question for Karen, hopefully you can get an answer or wanting to work with her. I, I, I highly recommend it, obviously. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, you can do that at thatsnotspit.com. Uh, you can find me at, at That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode... <laughs> Uh, feel free to leave a rating <laughs> and a review on iTunes. Um, don't forget to share it on social media so everybody else can have their <laughs> day ruined. Um, Karen, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'm so pumped to always chat with you. And I, I'm just always <laughs> reminded of just how like amazing and ridiculous you are. And you just definitely make me better. Um, I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Always remember, stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.